We've been in this whole study, and, and as I say again, if you have your Bible, turn to Galatians 5. We've been in this study of the Holy Spirit, the power aid, the immediate power that we need. You see, we've all needed immediate power sometimes, and we've not been able to get it. Have you ever been somewhere and you needed immediate power and you didn't get it? About eight days ago, a week ago from yesterday, I went out to my van and I turned the key on and it made the sound that everyone loves so much. And so I turned it off and I went and I got the jumper cables and I jumped the car and still when I turned the key it went just nothing. So I took the battery out and I took it to several different places until I found the right battery and I put it back in because the truth is we all need that immediate power and you say well I've never had that happen to me just you wait it will happen someday if you if you own a car or maybe it's not that maybe you uh, I, I was going to do some chores I was trying to paint some closet doors and I had all of these big intentions and somewhere along the afternoon my I, I could see my my power just run out and I and I lost steam and I didn't get the project done that day we all need immediate power when we're talking about the Holy Spirit so often what we think is well what we really need is those when those big emergencies when the crisis in our life comes that's when we want the Holy Spirit's power the, but the Bible teaches us something totally different it says the more important power for you is the day-by-day -day power. Now, we're going to talk about that supernatural power that comes in those times of crises, in those times when you need him so desperately. But today, we're going to talk about the day-to-day -day power that you need when you face the day-to-day -day grind. You know what happens every week after Sunday? Monday comes. Don't you hate it? The weekend's over and, and you have to start again at whatever it is that those activities that you have lined up. And the Lord says, I want to be there for you immediately in those days. Galatians 5.16, look at what it says. It says, so I say, live by the Spirit. The word there, literally live, could be walk step by step. Take it day by day, moment by moment. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit, it says and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature here's where we're going with this today the Lord promises the power we need every day as long as we stay connected to his power source here's an amazing truth I went and I got that battery for the van and I put it in the van and the van would not start you know why it wouldn't start because I didn't connect the battery cables if you don't connect the battery cables a battery can sit in there brand new battery hundred and five dollars die hard it's gonna be there forever but if I didn't connect the, the cables to it I would have no power and so many of us have the Holy Spirit that battery that's sitting in the car and we've never connected the cables the Lord says he will give us the every the power we need every day as long as we stay connected to his power source the Holy Spirit that's what Jesus was talking about in John 10.10. 10. He says, I've come to give you life that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what he's talking about. Let's look at what this looks like in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start and we're going to skip around and do a few verses. But what disconnects? What disconnects our daily uh, spiritual power? What's caused those battery cables to come off? What disconnects us? Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to look at verse 5 for just a minute. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. You're waiting for the righteousness, and where does it come? Through the Spirit. Look at verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you 
and kept you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. This is kind of the trite sayings or the, the sayings that he's throwing out that they know already. You ever been in a race and somebody cut in in front of you? And you say, no, I've, I've never had that happen. Ever been on the freeway when somebody cuts you off? Don't you just love them for that? Don't you just pray for them? Say, Jesus, bless them today. Well, maybe that's not exactly the words you use, but, you know, somebody's cut you off. And he says, haven't you ever been in a race and somebody cut you off and on a day-to-day -day basis, someone's disconnecting you from the Holy Spirit because you're, in that moment, you're flashing to anger, you're flashing to something that's not what the Spirit gave you. He says, hasn't somebody ever cut in on you? And he says, it's just like a little yeast. It works through the whole dough. Once you get a little bit of that in you, all of a sudden it begins to grow and grow in you. Look over at verse 16. It's a verse we lo already looked at. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You know, there's so many people that teach that once you become a Christian, everything's smooth sailing. You never have any other problems. And the Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches that once you have that new spirit in you, it's in conflict with everything you've done in the past. That old sinful nature, those things that want to drag you back, the Lord says that new nature, that new spirit, the Holy Spirit that's in you is going to war against those. It's going to have conflict. That's the, the, the terminology. Look at verse 18. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law or the legal system, that living by rules that we've all tried to live by. Look at verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And here's a whole list of sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Um, you know, th those are the big ones, so we don't have to... Idolatry, that's really the occult. The occult. Anybody here involved in the occult? Huh. You say, well, not on a regular basis. Really? You want to look at the books you've been reading again? I'm not here... It's not a witch hunt, as it were. But we need to really think about that. How much of the occult is creeping in? He says the, the acts of the sinful nature are idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, or that could be the typical church meeting. That's the same word there, dissensions. Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what blows us away about that list? He throws orgies and, dis and, and dissensions in the same thing. He throws in orgies with talking about somebody behind their back, gossiping and factions. He throws all of those together because you want, they're all product of the same thing. We think, oh, well, the big sins. I, don't do the, I haven't killed anybody today. I have not been to an orgy for days now. That's what we think. So it's okay. And the Lord says, no. Don't you understand? That little bit of leaven, that little bit of yeast, that little bit, of, it will it'll begin to grow in you. What disconnects us from our daily spiritual power? We disconnect when we retain control is what it is. We disconnect when we retain control. You see, we're trying to live in our own power. And Paul had really strong words for a group of people. The book of Galatians is written to these people who, who they said, we really don't need the Lord because we have rules. We really don't need the Lord because we've got it down. We can live in our own strength. We can do this on our own. And the Lord says, no, you can't. 
And the Lord says, no, you can't. And the Galatian people are no different from us, and we're just as guilty of that. We don't need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live the typical Christian life in America. Did you hear me? We do not need the Holy Spirit to live the typical Christian life in America because the typical Christian life in America is not that different from any other life other than, you know, you're semi-moral, you go to church occasionally, that's what the typical Christian life is, and that's not what the Lord calls us to do. The life calls us to is not just challenging. The life Christ calls us to, the Lord calls us to, is not just difficult. The life God calls us to is impossible without the Holy Spirit. And we don't get that. So because of that, we keep grabbing that controller back. We're trying to retain control. It's the whole point. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at John 15, 5. You remember that verse? The whole analogy is the, the Lord says, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. And my father, he says, is the, is the gardener. He comes by and he tends the garden. But in verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And then he says words that are startling. Apart from me, you can do okay. Is that what he says? No, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And you think, oh, well, it's not really that bad. Really? Have you ever known anyone that's burned out? You just look in their face. Did you ever look in the mirror and say, that person that's burned out is me? Because you're trying to do this in your own power, in your own strength. I've been there. I live there sometimes because I want to work as hard as I can. I, I have this work ethic, and I think if I would just work harder, and I have to keep coming back and realizing that when I'm trying to do it in my own strength, it's never going to be enough. A couple of years ago, we went to our daughter's house. She lives in Austin, and she and her husband, Sam, they're the ones with the two children. There's a four-year-old, almost to be five years old, Nicholas, and then the two-year-old, almost three years old, is, is, uh, that's Lincoln. He has Down syndrome. And we went to their house, and this is what I usually do when I go to my kid's house. What do you need fixed? What's broken that I can work on this week while I'm here? And she said, oh, Dad, there's, no, I really, you know, this is your vacation. Don't want you to do that. I said, I understand. So what do you need to have fixed this week? And she said, well, there's a little issue with the gate. It's not a big deal. It's just <clears throat> the gate's not closing properly. And so I went out, and they had two-by-fours nailed across their wooden gate from post to post. And the gate was nailed to the, to the two-by-fours. I said, well, this is a bit of an issue. And I said, uh, what's wrong? She says, it just doesn't open and close right. And so I took the fence, and you could, you could move it about two and a half feet either way, the whole fence. I said, actually, there's nothing wrong with the gate. She said, really? Why won't it open? I said, it's not the gate. All the posts are rotted in this whole section of fence. And she says, well, what can we do? And I said, we've got it. Well, let's go to Lowe's. I went to Lowe's, and we got some wood, and we got some posts, and we got some, and then more I looked at two-by-fours that held the fence up. They were rotted, and then the fence posts themselves were rotted, and the gate was rotted. There was one, one hinge that was still okay in the whole section of fence. And before we went, I said, do you have a drill? Do you have an electric screwdriver? Because I don't, I don't put nails into fences. I put screws into fences because I don't like to do them over and over again. And I, don't, I hate to go back and nail the wood back together. And so I'll just, we'll just use deck screws. She says, oh, I have, a, I have a drill. And she brought me this drill and went, I said, no, I need one that goes, 
So we go in there, and, and I said, being the cheapskate that I am, I need the cheapest drill that will do what I needed to do. And this guy came, and he, he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm putting up posts, and I'm putting up fence. And he says, oh, this is a great one. And he said, this is a really good sale. And I turned it on. I said, no, I need. He says, no, we'll get it. So I bought it. It was like $49. And I said, how long does it have a warranty? It has a 60-day warranty. And I says, well, you know, I'm afraid because I'm going to be doing a lot of drilling, a lot of screwing. Oh, it'll be great. Three days later, I finished. As I was putting the last screw in, it went. And then smoke came out of the drill. So I took it back. And I said, is this under warranty? And he says, yes, you can have another drill or you can have your money back. And I said to Liz, whatever you want, it's yours. I bought it for you. You see, in our own power, we're trying to do the impossible. And you may do it for a day or two or three, but at some point, the smoke begins to curl up around your life when you're trying to do this with inadequate power. And the Lord says, I will give you the power to do the day-to-day tasks that I need you to do. But you need to understand you're going to burn out if you try it in your own power. Matthew 5, 24 says it this way. You have to make a choice. Either uh, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And the truth is you have to choose who's going to be the master in your life. Are you going to be the master? Do you choose to do this in your own power? Or will you finally turn it over and say, okay, Lord, I'm burned out and there's smoke curling up around my life. Please take my life and do with it. Do you want to know who's control, in control of your life? Think about who makes the decisions. How many times you check with the Lord? Uh, Chuck Swindoll says, want to know who's in control? Check your checkbook and your day timer. How you spend your time and your money tells what controls you. We disconnect when we retain control. Number two, we disconnect when we return to our own mind, old mindset. We disconnect when we return to our old mindset. And he, he talks about this worldview, this mindset that we have. And this mindset, this habitual mind that we have keeps cropping back in us and we think oh we're not living there anymore oh we are living there every day we're living there we're totally unrealistic about the way we think about the christian life i love chuck swindoll chuck swindoll is is hilarious he says the the typical christian life and the normal christian life is not unlike the normal married life get this this is what he says the normal married life guys is not about soft music saran wrap negligees and night after night in a bubbly hot tub the normal Christian life, or married life is not soft-footed waiters serving you tea in the afternoon at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel while you watch the surf break on Maui. The normal married life is not letters in the mail several times a month announcing you have won the lottery. $50 million is in your checking account. The normal married life is not a husband coming home with flowers every afternoon. Did you hear that? The normal married life is not about $500 gift certificates to Nordstrom's every Saturday. The normal married life is not happy, carefree teenagers anxious to help with the dishes and thrilled to keep their rooms clean. That's not normal. He says the normal married life is not a mother-in-law with a face like Michelle Pfeiffer and a heart like Mother Teresa. He concludes, if you're a bride or a groom-to-be anticipating that kind of normal married life, I've got only three words for you. Get a life. Visit with any married couple for a day or two, and you'll be, come back to reality real fast. 
You see, that's the way we think about the Christian life. Oh, God, if I pray, he's going to answer immediately. He's going to take care of all of my problems. The normal Christian life is, is sitting in a hotel watching the waves break in Maui. The normal Christian life is having everything handed to me on a platter. That's not the normal Christian life. Chuck Swindoll has got it right. He's exactly what Galatians says. Who cut in on you on this race? Who cut you off? What was it in your mindset? What were you thinking? A little bit of that begins to permeate all that we do and all that we have and all of our life. And if we're not careful, it's a default mode that we fall back on. 2 Corinthians 10.5 gives us a, a, a great instruction. If we, and, and I love the New American Standard on this. The New International Version is a great Bible, but every now and then the New American Standard, it just really nails it. It says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're destroying speculations. What does that mean? You ever speculate? Do you ever think, oh, well, if I could just, oh, if you just dream, if I could just, if God would just give me this, if this would just happen in my life, that's speculations. Charles Stanley nails it. He says, to imagine yourself being happy and fulfilled in a relationship with another man's wife is to dwell on a lie. To envision yourself telling someone off and winning the respect of others in doing so is to deceive yourself. To rehearse in your mind imaginary conversations in which you emotionally slam dunk another person is to meditate on sin. To mentally devise a scheme where you benefit at the expense of someone else is to walk after the flesh. These are speculations. What do you dream about? What is it in your heart? What's in your mind? What are the speculations? What's happening? What's happening in our life? What are the thoughts that are in our minds? What do we default back to? What's the mode? We're usually attacking the problem by working on the symptom rather than the cause. We act based on what we believe, what, and, and what we believe is what we think. Now think about this. What is it that you're thinking right now? Some of you are thinking, man, he was really tough on those teenagers. You know why I do that? Because I love them. I want them to pay attention. Not only that, I want the people around them to be able to pay attention. And what we think makes us act what we think determines where we go with our life and if we are in this default mode where mode where we keep falling back into this stinking thinking it will absolutely destroy us the battle is the battle for the mind because that changes the way we live i love the the, the saying mark twain said it age is a matter of the mind if you don't mind it doesn't matter it's really, it's really mindset, isn't it? I mean, we have people around here. When we're painting, we, you know, we were painting the very peak up there, and we had this guy that was uh, 70 some years old that was running up and down the ladder. Here I am in my 50s, and Bob Fletcher is going up. He says, can I go up one more time and paint for you one more time? And I'm thinking, go ahead. My legs are so tired. And he goes up and down. You know, it's a matter of, it's, it's a matter of the mind. And if you go into that default mode, mode that I'm too old, that I can't, that I can't, the Lord says, I want you to get a new mindset. It's my mindset. What disconnects us? I think it's all about trying to grab the power back. It's all about, it's about retaining control. It's all about our mindset. So what connects us? What maximizes? So here's where we go with this. What maximizes 
our daily spiritual power. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. He tells us, he gives us all the clues right here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think there's nine elements there, and we went over all of these about a year ago. We did a whole series. You can, you can check it out on the website if you want to know what all of those things are about. You can go back and order the CDs if you want to, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, again, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Again, it's a legal system. There is no legal system. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, whoo, put to death. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What maximizes our, our spiritual power? I think there's three things, and, and he tells us, number one, depend on Christ totally depend on Christ totally do you depend on him are you totally dependent on Jesus Christ you say well, yes yeah I'm, I'm good let's go on to that next one really are you why do we need to depend on on Christ totally I mean we sometimes we need to ask the question why why do we have to depend on him A.W. Tozier in a little book uh, he wrote says it this way the real Christian is an odd human being anyway what A.W. Tozer says is the Christian life is not normal. We depend on him because it doesn't come naturally. The real Christian is an odd human being anyway. The Christian feels supreme love for one he's never seen. He talks every day with someone he can't see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of someone else. He empties himself in order to be full. He admits he is wrong so he can be declared right. He goes down in order to get up. He's strongest when he's weakest. He's richest when he's poorest. He's happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live. He forsakes others to have. He gives away so that he can keep. Did you get that? Listen to the, how he concludes this. The real Christian sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes all understanding. You can't do that on your own. You need to be dependent on Jesus Christ. We have to depend on Christ totally because the assignment is too demanding. I just took the little term, keep in step, or walk with, or live in the Spirit, and I went back to the Greek, and this is what I found out. Here's your assignment. You are to walk properly, it says in Romans 13, 13. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Ephesians 5, 2 says that we are to walk in love. Ephesians 5, 8 says that we are to walk in the light. Colossians 1.10 says we are to walk worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.1 says to walk worthy of our calling. 1 John 2.6, here's the one that blew me away. Whoever claims to live in Jesus Christ must walk as Jesus did. Can you do that on your own? Can you walk in the light? Can you walk in love? Can you walk worthy? Can you walk worthy of the Lord? Can you walk as Jesus did? No. You need to depend on him totally. We have to depend on him because the enemy is too determined. Ever since I started this, this series on spiritual warfare, on, on the Holy Spirit, there's been spiritual warfare. There's been this battle that's just gone on constantly. Satan is alive and well. 
And he's been battling us all the way through. We have to depend on Christ because the enemy is too determined. The old nature is too destructive. How much do you really depend on Christ? I brought something as an illustration. You know what this is? What is this called? That's duct tape, okay? Duct tape is, is an interesting thing. Now, we sing this song, He is the air I breathe, right? So I want somebody to come up. I'm going to just take a piece of duct tape and put it over your mouth, and I'll put another one over your nose. Okay? I, I, I had Josh Emerson. He was volunteering a couple of his teenagers back there. No, if we did that, if we put duct tape over your mouth and then over your nose, how long would you last? If you were really good, if you could hold your breath a long time, and when I was in high school, I swam on a swim team, and we always did an annual thing at the, at the school, Northeast High School, and I swam Olympic-sized pool the length six times underwater with one breath. It was over three minutes. And so I can hold my breath, or I could back then hold my breath a long time. So three minutes I could go without taking another breath. But I got news for you. After three minutes, after I had gone six times Olympic swimming pool length, six times underwater with one breath, I really wanted air a lot. And if somebody had held my head under, I would have done anything to get out of that water. You can't go two seconds without the Holy Spirit. You just don't know it. You can't, you can't go a heartbeat without God. He says he sustains us. Every moment, every second, every person that's alive is sustained by the power of God, and we don't get it. How dependent are you? Is that how you depend on Christ? Uh, I used the illustration in Sunday school. I'm going to come back to it. How many of you don't eat breakfast? You don't, you don't like breakfast? You don't eat breakfast. Maybe coffee, but no breakfast. Come on, be honest. Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, okay. How many of you do eat breakfast? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you eat lunch? Raise your hand. How many of you eat dinner? Raise your hand. Okay. That's the supper, okay? The nighttime thing, whatever you call it. Okay. Okay. How many of you have gone two weeks without eating? Raise your hand. How many of you have gone two weeks without reading God's Word? We've all. I mean, honestly, there's times when we've done it. How, how many of you have gone two weeks without... As the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together with other believers. How many of you have gone two months, two weeks, without feeding on God's Word? Jesus at one point says, uh, the disciples come to him and say, do you have some food we don't know of? And he says, the food that I have is to do God's will. It's to, con it's to commune with God. In the Old Testament, in Psalm, one of the Psalms, it says it's like, it's like honey out of the honeycomb. It's the sweetest thing. It's, it's the most wonderful thing. And there's another place where the, one of the prophets says, your words were like meat to me, and I ate them, and they brought nourishment to me. We think that we depend on God, and we don't even depend on the food, the bread. He says, this is the bread of life. Why don't you eat it on a day-to-day -day basis? Totally depend totally depend on Jesus Christ. Just as much as you would for air, just as much as you would for food, you have to depend on the Holy Spirit who resides within you daily to give you the strength, the power you need. And we don't get that. All of the language of the Bible is this it's this huge language. It, it's so big that we can't grasp it. It's just like uh, Galatians 2.20. He's already written this to the people. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross. If you've ever seen Mel Gibson's depiction of, of the brutality and, and the horribleness of what happened at the cross, and you know what happened when they beat him and when they, and when they put the, the spikes in his hands and his feet and all of that that went on, it wasn't, that even didn't really depict it. it, was, it they still held back too much. 
says, I've been crucified. It's like I've been slain with him. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We talk about the Christian life. We talk about, oh, I'm devoted and dependent on him. But are we really? Have we died with him? It's like our life doesn't exist anymore. And he says, if you do this, he never commands us to bear fruit. But he says, if you do this, you're connected to the divine. You will have love and joy and peace and all of these things. But you have to depend on me. Number two, follow Christ faithfully. Too many times we invite God to join us on our journey. Follow Christ faithfully. Hey, Lord, this is what I'm going to do today. Hope you can be with me. Thanks so much. Give me a great day and keep me out of the traffic. That's how we pray. Lord, this is what I'm going to do today, and these are my plans for my life, and this is where I'm going to go to school, and this is who I'm going to marry. Would you just bless that for me? Would you come along with me on my journey? And the Lord says, no, would you come along with me on mine? I've got news for you, and please don't take this wrong, but I've got news for you. My journey did not include Redding, California. My journey would never include me being a couple thousand miles away from three of the people that I love the most and their families. That's my children. I'm not here because I want to be so far from my family. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Reading. I love the climate. I love the lakes. I love a lot of things about Reading. But I love my children more. And I love their families, and I love my grandchildren. And my journey would be, God, would you take me to Austin or, or Nashville or Atlanta? And the Lord says, no, would you go with me? And I'd love to tell you that I did it willingly, but some days it's tough. I'm not saying that for you to feel sorry for me. I'm saying that I'm not supposed to be different from you, and you're not supposed to be different from me. He says, I'm going to go on this journey. Will you go with me? And it may mean that it's going to cost you something. Follow me. Luke 9.23 says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Francis Chan. By the way, after we're done with this series, we're going to start a series called Crazy Love. Francis Chan wrote the little book called Crazy Love. And I'm going to do a series of messages based on some of the things he said. It's not just uh, going back over the book. But, but if you want to get a copy of Crazy Love... It's in a lot of bookstores. It just hit the one million mark for a Christian book. That's unheard of, by the way. Francis Chan, this is what he says about following Christ and taking up your cross. His, cross, his call is to follow, to take up the cross. Taking up my cross has become a euphemism. It's for getting through life's typical burdens with a semi-good attitude. Oh, I just took up my cross. I had to, that was the cross I had to bear. Yet life's typical burdens, busy schedules, bills, illness, hard decisions, paying for college tuition, losing your job, a house not selling, and the family dog dying, those things are felt by everyone, whether or not they follow the way of Jesus Christ. Those are not your cross to carry. When Jesus calls calls us to take up a cross, he is doing much more than calling us to endure the daily circumstantial troubles of life. The people in Jesus' day were familiar with the cross. Having witnessed crucifixion, they understood this was total commitment and total sacrifice. Taking up the cross meant something. It's a call to radical faith. 
Jesus is calling us to be willing to suffer anything and forsake everything for the sake of the gospel. It's called us to love those who have cheated us in business. Anybody ever cheat you in business? Do you love them? That's what the Bible says. Those who have spread nasty rumors about us. Those who would kill us if they could. Those who disagree with us politically. Now, let, let me write that one out. I don't like that one. They could do politically. Those who could do, disagree with us. Let's make another word in there. I don't like that. No, that's what he says. Those who would disagree with us politically, practically, fundamentally. His call is to consider everything a loss for his sake. His call is total surrender. He calls us to give up all that we have, to give even to the point of offering up our lives as a living sacrifice. His call means realizing that his power is made perfect when we are the weakest, that when we are weak, we are also strong. 2 Corinthians 12. Are you going to follow him? Or are you going to ask him to follow you? Sounds too radical. That sounds too tough for us to try. And it would be except that when you become desperate enough, you'll try anything. You'll try anything. When you really get desperate enough, you'll be, you'll be willing to do amazing things. When I was in high school, I was playing football and I tore the ligaments in my knee and I went into the doctor and the doctor says, this is what you need to have. And, and he, gave, he prescribed some medicine and it, this was the old days before they went in and did surgery immediately. He said, let's let it heal for six weeks and see how it does. And he says, after six days, I want you in physical therapy. And the first time I went to physical therapy, they said, let's see how far this will bend. And they bent it, and I said, it doesn't bend that far. And they bent it further, and I said, it still doesn't bend that far. And they did it further, and I said, this hurts a lot. And they bent it further, and I said, you are mean. This is torture. What are you doing? And they said, if you do not continue to do the physical therapy, if you do not have this therapy, if you do not do what you need to do, your leg will not heal properly, your muscle will not heal properly, we have to do that. I mean, I was 16 years old. You know the question I asked? How soon can I play football? And they said, if you do the physical therapy right, you might even be back by the end of the season. When I was desperate enough to play football, I was willing to endure incredible pain to try to get back to playing football. And I did play in the last two games of the season after I'd torn the ligaments in the, in the first or second game of the season. You see, when you get desperate enough, you'll do anything. And the Lord says he wants us to come along in this journey. The great news, if you notice, it says to keep in step with the Spirit. We sang this song, Step by Step, I'll Follow. Step by step. It, it's, he, doesn't give us, he doesn't lay out the whole plan. He doesn't tell us all the gory details. This is what's going to happen five years, ten years from now. He says, will you follow me today? Would you take one step with me today? That's how he leads us. Step by step. Keep in step with the Spirit. I love this verse in Romans. Paul is writing to this, this group of people who are so legalistic. And he says, he's also the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, there's a lot of words "circumcised" there. Just, just uh, take that out and insert law. He's the father of those who who live by the law, who not only live by the law, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he lived by the law. You see, it's not a, a matter of following rules. It's not a matter of just doing all of these rules. It's a matter of step-by-step step following in the footsteps, it says. I've used the analogy before. 
that sometimes you need to follow in the footsteps. Uh, we had a bathroom uh, exhaust fan that went out in our house, and we went to buy that, and, you know, you can't buy the same fan anymore. I, you know, 21 years later, for some reason, they don't make that same stinking little fan anymore. And every fan that I found was a little bit larger. So the only way I could figure to do it was to go take the fan out from the attic. Don't you love crawling around in your attic? Isn't that fun? Especially when they've blown in that insulation so you can't see any of the rafters. If you've never been up in the attic, one thing you need to know is if you don't step on the rafters, you go through the ceiling, just in case. I did not go through the ceiling. But you know what I did? We'd had some other workmen in doing some other work on the house, and I followed in their footsteps. Because what they had done is they had, they had pulled the insulation away so you could see where they had stepped on the rafters. And you could see the rafters that they had carefully pushed it away. Now, you do understand that when you leave the attic, you really should make all of that go back so it's a blanket. But as long as he'd already put the footsteps there, I made sure that I could see the rafter before I put the foot down. Because I didn't want Kathy to put on PowerPoint my legs dangling through the ceiling. And if I called out to her and said, honey, help, get a ladder, she'd go get the camera first, just in case you want to know, okay? She would do that. And I'd, I'd expect her to. The Lord says, you need to follow me because if not, you're going to fall through someplace. It's going to be painful. It's going to be embarrassing. You need to follow me in the footsteps. You know what I love? He doesn't give us directions. He leads us. Psalm 23, he leads us beside still waters for his name's sake. He doesn't say, you guys go out there and see how it is on your own. He says, I'm going to go with you. And I love the little parable, the little story that says there were times in my life there were two sets of footprints walking side by side, but when it got really, really tough, all I could see is one set of footsteps. Where did you go, Lord, when I needed you? And he says, no, when the times got the toughest, there's only one set of footprints. It's not that I left you. I picked you up and I carried you through those times. That's our God who loves us beyond what we can imagine. Follow Christ faithfully. And the last one is practice walking with Christ repeatedly. Practice walking with Christ repeatedly. I know this is no news to some of you, but, you know, at one point I'd lost 40 pounds. I was riding my bicycle. I can't believe this. I'm, I'm gaining weight again. I've gained a lot of that 40 pounds back. It really makes me mad. I hate to have to stand up here and tell you that. And I can't believe that. I have a road bike. It's a wonderful road bike. I have an exercise bike. It is fantastic. I have exercise videos. I have videos that will make you sweat until nobody wants to be around you until you, somebody hoses you off. I mean, I've got all this stuff. You know why they don't work? Because I haven't used them. That road bike, that exercise bike, and those exercise videos don't do me any good as long as they sit in a garage, sit out back, or sit you know, under the TV where I don't put them in there. And just like that battery, if you don't connect the, 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 the connection to it, if you don't put the cables on the battery, it's just the same way. He says, I want you to get involved with this. One time Kathy was uh, at the mall. She was getting her hair cut, and she said, uh, I, you know, I'm going to run in here. They've got an appointment for me. Uh, why don't you just go around and, and shop? So I went to the place where all guys, when you have some extra time, I went to Sears, to the craftsman section, to the tools and stuff, and I got bored with the tools, and so I walked over, and they had this treadmill, and it was a really nice treadmill. It had a TV on it and all this other stuff on it, 
and I was talking, the salesman came up, and he, and he said, are you going to buy something? I said, absolutely not. My wife's getting her hair cut, and I'm just, and I looked around, there was about 10 of us just milling around in the, in the, you know, the men's section, the manly men's section. I said, this is a neat treadmill. He says, oh, they brought it back. It's used. I said, it doesn't look like it's been used. He says, oh, it's, it's never been used. I said, well, you can say that. You know, you're a salesman. He says, no, it's never been used. I said, how can you tell? And he pulls the plug out, and he says, you see this zip, the zip cord on this? He said, there was a, a, a warning, and he showed me the warning on it about how to do it where you have the little thing to unplug so you didn't go flying off the back of the treadmill. And he said, they wanted to make sure that you read the warning, so they put it over the plug, and they put a zip, they, they put a zip tie on it. And it was a special zip tie that had a hole in the middle of it so that it went over the center part of the plug, the grounding part of the plug, so there was no way to plug that in. And he says, they've never taken the zip tie off. They've never taken the thing off. And they told us it didn't work properly. He says, it can't work properly. They've never plugged it in. He says, if they were trying to do it without the, the, the motor, then it really wasn't working very well. But he said, look at it. It's never been touched. The Lord says... I'm going to give you the tools, I'm going to give you the power, and I'm going to give you one other thing. I'm going to give you the option whether to use it or let it lie dormant in your life. You can have all the power of the Holy Spirit, but you can keep him locked in a closet in your life. One little area of your life that you don't let him into the rest of the rooms of your heart, of your life. You see, there's a couple of cautions. Here's one, 1 Thessalonians. Look what it says. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. There's a way for you to quench the Holy Spirit in your life. And one of those ways is just to not to use Him on a day-to-day -day basis. To come to Him. To allow Him free reign. To, to allow Him control. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Look at the next one. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit what? of power, of love, and of self-discipline. He says, I've got this spirit that I've put inside you, and it's really a part of my spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline, but you've got to do something with it got to do something with it what does that mean it means that every day you come and you don't just go through the motions of reading the bible but you read it and you say lord what do you want me to learn today what do you want me to gain from this today what do you want me to glean from this today it means you come and you talk to the lord every day and you tell him what's in your innermost part of your heart and your life and you serve him and you go for him and you love him it's a matter of training versus trying. You know, we've, we've talked about that before. The, the, the Christian life is a matter of training versus trying. God gives you all these things, but you have to use them on a day-to-day -day basis because as you do that, you train to do better. Uh, the biggest loser guys from a couple of years ago, there were two of them. One of the guys won the whole shebang. I mean, he won $250,000, lost all of his weight, lost more than half of his weight, I think over 50%. I mean, he was in great shape. And another guy got voted out about six weeks into it. And he didn't even get close to winning. Both of them ran an Ironman triathlon, or they, they performed a, an Ironman triathlon. You remember the Ironman? 2.6 miles swimming, 112 or 114 miles riding your bicycle, 
And then what do you do after that? Then you get off your bicycle after you've, all in one day, all at one time, 2.6 miles of swimming, 112 to 14 miles of riding your bicycle, and then you get off and just do this nice little jog. It's called a marathon, 26.2 miles, all in one day. And officially, they start like at 5 o'clock in the morning, and you have 17 hours. The guy who won the biggest loser, who'd lost all of this weight, who gained all of this money, he was going to put on this big show. And he already knew that he was the winner. He was the biggest loser. He was the one who'd lost all this weight. He only forgot to do one thing. He didn't train very well for this triathlon. And so about halfway through the bike thing, they're pouring buckets of water over his head. He's trying everything. And he says, all I want to do is get there before midnight because at midnight, it's official. I actually finished a triathlon within the 17-hour window. And after midnight, everything I've done doesn't count. He got there at 12.08. Missed it by eight minutes. 17 hours and eight minutes. But as far as they're concerned, he didn't actually make it. The other guy who voted, got voted out in the six weeks, he ran three different triathlons getting prepared for the Ironman. I mean, there were shorter races, only 60 or 70 miles in a day instead of 140. And he said, my goal is not to finish in 17 hours. My goal is to finish in under 12 hours to do 2.6 miles of swimming and 100, 112 miles of biking and then the marathon. I couldn't do the marathon in 12 hours. I, you know, that blows me away to think about this. He came in 11 hours and 58 minutes. And they were talking to both of them, and the, the one guy made all these excuses. Well, you know, I've gained a little weight, and I just didn't do the training. And the other guy said, the person who allowed me to do this is the person that I've married, who's my wife, and she never wanted to do a triathlon, but she said, if you're going to do it, I'll do it step by step with you, with you. And she taught me to swim. I had never been a swimmer before. And then she learned how to bike with me, and she went with me all the way on the bike. And, and she ended up running the marathon. And halfway through the marathon, she pulled a hamstring, and she wasn't able to finish. And she said, you go. You've done the training. You go. And she said, you finish. And they came and got her in her car, and she was there at the finish line to greet me. The Lord says, I want you to train to finish the race. Chuck Swindoll said this statement. I want, I want to leave it with you today. I want you to think about this. Can you think of a time in your life when you, you really could say, can you think of a single time in your life when you could really could say, I remember being so filled with the thoughts of God and the power of God that I felt invincible in my day-to-day -day walk with Christ. This is what can happen. More importantly, this is what God wants for us, longs for us, calls us to be, to do. Would you pray? Father, you know every heart of every person that's here today. And your call is a gift. We cannot earn what you've given us. You give us the Holy Spirit freely. Father, your gift was your son dying on the cross. Your gift was forgiveness of everything wrong we've ever done. Your gift, Father, was what we all needed. But when you gave us a gift, you wanted to change us, to transform us. So that our life of faith took on meaning. And part of that was to depend on you for every step. To follow you wherever you lead. To train in those characteristics 
that help bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Father, it's still not in our power because you give us the power even to do that. And your gift includes everything we need for life and godliness. It's what you told us in in 2 Peter 1. So we need you, Father, more than we can imagine. May we today claim this life of faith that we have so casually handled and almost ignored. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.